hppodcraft.com. A certain gentleman by the name of Wang from the city of Taiyuan was out walking early one morning when a young woman passed him carrying a bundle, hurrying along on her own, though with considerable difficulty. He caught up with her and saw at once that she was a girl of about sixteen and very beautiful. "'What are you doing out here all alone at this early hour?' he asked, instantly smitten. "'Why do you bother to ask, since you are only a passerby and can do nothing to ease my troubles?' was her reply. "'Tell me, what has caused this sorrow of yours? I will do anything I can to help you.' A guy creeping up on a girl is not normally the kind of horror we do here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. (laughs) But since it's a story from the early 1700s, and it's creepy in other ways, we'll make an exception. We don't know that he's creeping on her. I mean, he could just be a good Samaritan. Mm. If if there's one thing I've learned about men, it's that we usually just want to help. (laughs) Rarely are there other motives involved. (laughs) We're covering some of the stories of Pu Song Ling from his collection of Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio. That reading that you heard from the beginning was from a story called Painted Skin. But we're also going to cover The Haunted House and Spitting Water. These stories are very short, so we'll have plenty of time to cover them all on our free show of the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Chad Pfeiffer. We're here at hppodcraft.com talking about weird fiction every week. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for $6.66 every quarter and you get it all. Four shows a month covering the stories you care about. <laughs> that sounds pretty good, huh? Yeah, it did. You can also donate any amount to the show at hppodcraft.com. Just hit the donate button on the right rail. If you're already a subscriber and feel like giving us some more money, do so. I just I have a contracting job that pays my rent, and they just let me go. So yes. I got money on my mind. <laughs> I don't I don't know if people think we're uh, rich, famous podcasters, but oh, we have jobs. Yeah. I just lost one. So give us some dough if you can. Chad Pfeiffer Support Fund. He needs it. <laughs> Speaking of fundraising, these stories were picked by a funder for our Providence show back in 2017, Jake Schutz. Jake, thank you so much for picking these stories. I enjoy them so much. I actually picked up the Penguin Classics copy of this book after reading these selections online. Mm -hmm. The copy of the book I got is called Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio. They they say tales in Mm -hmm. this translation. It's translated by John Minford. has an excellent introduction by him that I'll be stealing from liberally in this episode Uh because obviously these are non-Western stories from quite a long time ago. And so context is important. Yeah. (laughs) They're pretty nuts. And so we need the help. Speaking of introductions, our reader doesn't need one. For ladies and gentlemen, he is Andrew Lehman. Woo! As always, you can check out hplhs.org for Lovecraftian radio dramas, apparel, Mm. music, props. Yeah. One exciting thing uh, that they just announced, the next episode of Dark Adventure Radio Theater will be Masks of Nyarlathotep. Woo-hoo! Yes! You played that, right? You bet I have, yeah. It's a great adventure. It's a globe-trotting epic adventure of mystery intrigue and suspense it is (laughs) truly terrible in the terror sense Mm -hmm. it's a great story so i'm I'm looking forward to see what the hplhs has to do with it i'm looking forward to their terrible production (laughs) let's learn about uh, this this author (laughs) yes pusong ling was born in 1640 to a poor merchant family in shandong Uh, when he was 18 years old he received a degree in the civil service examination he spent most of his life as a private tutor 
but his collection, Strange Tales or Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio, was published in 1740, 25 years after his death. But before he died, at age 71, he was awarded the Gongsheng degree for his achievement in literature. Now, 1640, when he was born, that was four years before the collapse of the Ming Dynasty, mm. which has nothing to do with Flash Gordon, Lackey, don't make me explain that to you again. Oh. This is an actual historical thing. Yeah. Ming the Merciless was not involved. I will get into it right now, but okay. Pu Songling grew up as that old order was falling apart and the Manchu conquerors were coming in from the north to set up a new dynasty. In these stories, this unsettled period of time is referred to simply as the Troubles. Mm. That was the environment that he grew up in. There were peasant rebellions erupting periodically in Shandong that were then brutally suppressed by the new rulers. Now, when the new dynasty was finally becoming stable, that's when Pu Songling sat for his first public examination in 1658. As you say, he got a degree. But that was followed by a lot of failure, which I found pretty interesting. Hmm. I'm reading this from the introduction. Okay. Pu Songling sat for his first public examination and was placed first in all three stages of the highly competitive process. He was singled out for high praise by the eminent Mandarin acting as examiner and looked set for a distinguished career as an official, but it was not to be. From 1660 onwards, every one of his many attempts at acquiring the vital second degree proved unsuccessful. As a result, from the age of 19 to the age of 72, oh. he was to be a perpetual student, locked into the examination hell of the Chinese civil service recruitment system, oh. <laughs> supporting his family as a lowly private secretary and tutor in the households of one or another of the local wealthy families. Wow. Yeah, so he just could not, that second test, I don't know what was in it, but <laughs> mm. <laughs> he studied all that time and couldn't get through it. Oh, wow. But his failure as a, as a Mandarin is what allowed him to have the time to read and write all of the strange tales in this collection. Yeah. And thank goodness, because they are wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. They're so short, they're often only one page. In fact, just yesterday I took a picture of one of these stories called The Fornicating Dog and uh, <laughs> tweeted that out. Ah. It's a it's a delightful tale. The title <laughs> kind of tells you everything you need to know. Hopefully that delightful is in quotes when you... Uh... <laughs> Describe that. Before we jump into these stories, I wanted to give you a rundown of what kind of stories these are in mm -hmm. Chinese literature. Because they're very non-Western, they're very surprising, which is part of why I enjoy reading them. But they are rooted in Chinese literary tradition. Mm. Hu Songling was enormously well-read and deeply conscious of writing in two long literary traditions of storytelling. Two distinct genres. That of the Zhiguai, which we may call the weird account. And that of the Zhuangqi, the strange story. I'm sure I murdered those pronunciations. Mm. Both use the highly elliptical classical language as opposed to the vernacular favored by many writers of fiction and drama. So that was something that I was reading. The translate, Doing the job of translating these is very, very difficult. Right. Because Pu Songling was writing as an intellectual sort of for other intellectuals. Yeah. So the language is full of allusion and antiquated phrases. And, you know, even like a Chinese speaker would have a difficult time reading them oh. in, in their own language mm. now. But these two genres, a weird account might be best described as a pithy narrative of some strange event, a record of some grotesque creature, of a haunting, a bizarre person, a peculiar phenomenon or coincidence. So mm. That's the one type of story. Sure. It says this sort of story has fascinated Chinese readers since the dawn of literature. It still does. The Chinese press, both in the mainland and in Hong Kong, regularly carry accounts of odd phenomena, sometimes human, sometimes not. Mm. In August 2004, for example, the Hong Kong press provided a description of a man discovered in a remote part of the Chinese countryside whose entire body was densely covered in hair. All right. Still of interest yeah. to the Chinese public. <laughs> I don't find that very... I think that's of interest to the American public, too. I certainly... I don't think they should uh, delineate uh, countries here. I think it's uh, to humans I'm interested. I want to know about this guy who yeah. has hair all over his body. Give me the body hair section of the Times. <laughs> 
I want to read that too. Okay, now the strange stories are more artistically polished than the weird accounts. They are short works of fiction with fully developed plots and characterization. Some are romantic, some fantastical, some semi-historical. Others are concerned with the exploits of magicians or martial arts adepts. Mm. So there's some Kung Fu stuff going on. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Hu Songling brought these two traditions together in his strange tales. So that those are the, the kind of stories right. that this book contains. Many of the stories are from his own life. Some are folk tales. Some are based on historical accounts. But apparently he got many of these from his circle of friends, which just reminded me of like a Lovecraft situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He wrote out to a bunch of his pals and said, hey, I'm collecting these things. Would you send them to me? And actually from his preface of the book, he writes, of tales told, I have made a book. With time and my love of hoarding, the matter sent to me by friends from the four corners has grown into a pile. And I thought that was really, you know, he's so honest about his love of hoarding. Yeah. It's very vulnerable. <laughs> Look, Pusong Ling, I understand keeping all these letters from friends, but what do you, do you need all these cat skeletons? <laughs> and okay, we got to jump into the first story. But one last thing from that same preface by Pusong Ling. Sure, sure. He's saying that some of these stories are crazy, but he witnessed them firsthand. And real experience can often be stranger than mythology and fantasy. He writes, here in the civilized world, stranger events by far occur than in the country of cropped hair. Before our very eyes, weirder tales unfold than in the nation of flying heads. Huh? The country of cropped hair, I assume that means that everybody in that country has the same haircut, which is strange, uh-huh. but I've seen weirder things. Sure. The nation of flying heads? <laughs> have you ever seen anything in your life that is stranger than that? Uh, no, I have not seen that. I mean, I'm assuming that means it's a whole country and it's just decapitated heads that fly around. I've never seen anything weirder than that, than flying heads at all levels of government. The secretary of education is a disembodied head. (laughs) Hi guys, just flying in from Detroit. Let's get into these actual stories that were selected for us. All right, so the first story, the painted skin starts off with this guy named Wang. He's walking down the street of the city of Taiwan when he sees a attractive girl. She's 16, which is not cool now, but in the late 17th century, I'm sure you would be married with a couple of kids by the time you were 16. Their version of Teen Mom was actually just called Mom at that time. <laughs> Strangely, Teen Wolf was still Teen Wolf, but Teen Mom was, was Mom. Gosh, the world is so confusing. It is. Anyway, he creeps up on her and she tells him the story. Uh, she says that her parents sold her off as a concubine to a rich man's household. The man's wife was jealous of her and always was you know, beating her and treating her terrible. She just couldn't take it anymore and she ran away. Now she's a fugitive and she has nowhere to go. So Creepy Wang says, you can come stay with me. I'll keep you safe. And she's like, do you have a family? And he goes, oh, yeah, I've got a family, but I have a private study. And you could stay there. Why does he keep saying creepy? This is so far totally normal to me. She knows that he's creeping, I think. (laughs) And uh, she understands that if she wants help from this guy, that she's going to have to, you know, play ball. Ass, cash, or grass, right? She says that she'll do it as long as he promises to tell nobody. Mm -hmm. And because if word gets out that she's hiding, they'll come after her and they'll kill her. And he's cool with keeping him on a lowdown. So that night they slept together. See? Mm. And for the next few days, it was hot love and central. But yeah. for some strange reason, he decides to tell his wife, Lady Chen, about his new sexual partner. Right. She doesn't seem too bothered about her husband stepping out. Maybe they have an open marriage. I don't know. But she's worried if this girl was a concubine to an important family that they would all get in big trouble if they found out that they were hiding her. Yeah. You know, it could hurt the whole family. So Wang just kind of laughs her off and he keeps sleeping with this girl. <laughs> They are talking about how this family has a concubine and the wife was getting jealous of the concubine. So I guess it's not a rare situation for a man to have a mistress, but the very direct treatment of sex here was unexpected. Yeah. For me, from a 17th century story. Me too. As I said, this is a collection that 
also has a story called The Fornicating Dog. So <laughs> opened my eyes to a lot of things. But when we when we when we got these stories on the schedule, I, I'd never heard of them. And I asked a friend of mine who grew up in Hong Kong, uh, Gabriel, what he knew of this author. And he said, oh, I think we read from that book in junior high. But my generation knows Pu Song Ling from some softcore movies. That was actually his stories had been adapted into some nothing like too crazy. But that was was a teenager that those are the kind of Cinemaxy kind of movies that they would like to see. Sure. In John Minford's introduction to the collection, there's a section on the erotic that sheds some light on this. I'm going to read from it. Okay. These tales have also been prized and sometimes frowned upon for the discreetly and deliciously erotic flavor. (laughs) The late Ming period was noted for its voluminous production of pornographic and erotic fiction designed for the taste of the prosperous urban bourgeoisie. Pu Songling was catering for a mellower and more refined audience. His readers were not looking for the blow-by-blow accounts of sexual marathons that fill the pages of a crude late Ming work such as The Embroidered Couch. Get that on the schedule. (laughs) That is not to say that his readers were genteel or prudish. On the contrary, they would have found their taste well catered for by the strangely matter-of-fact manner in which sexuality is presented in strange tales. It is encountered quite explicitly, without prudery and without surprise, as part of everyday life. Strange Tales is, among other things, a casebook of Chinese sexual pathology. A young man here at talks about the fornicating dog a lonely woman mm-hmm. left too often alone at home by her merchant husband couples with her dog a young man with a roving eye is deluded by his neighbor's pretty wife into having sex with a rotten log and as a result has his penis fatally bitten by a scorpion oh god okay a kung fu master bashes his penis with a mallet and feels no pain what i would love to see i don't know that's got that is a story that's got a beginning and an end but I really need to know what happened in the middle. <laughs> That's a terrible TV guide description. I'm interested. Oh, yeah, of course. Again and again, we read of the seduction of an enervated young scholar by some fatally attractive woman as fox or woman as ghost. Mm-hmm. Their sexual liaison leading to his eventual debilitation and premature death. Mm. So, yeah, there are lots of these fox spirits in these stories. Right. Strange Tales is often referred to in Chinese as Tales of Foxes and Ghosts. Great title, actually. Yeah. The fox spirits, I was reading a lot more about that. They're almost like vampires. They kind of, they get men to sleep with them and they steal their essence and they stay young and beautiful while the, oh, the guy explodes see. or grows old or gets punished in some awful way. Oh, my God. Anyhow, I don't think we're dealing with a fox spirit in this story, but something kind of like that. A few days later, a Taoist priest runs into Wang at the market and he has, I guess, some kind of Tao perception and he <laughs> can see things that other people can't see. Yeah. And he says that Wang has some kind of evil stank on him. <laughs> he says, your whole being is wrapped in an evil aura. I tell you, you are bewitched. But Wang just blows him off. But the Taoist says, poor fool, some men blind themselves to the truth even when death is staring them in the face. So on the way home, Wang wonders about what this Taoist said to him, and he's wondering, maybe I'm being tricked by this woman. When he gets to the study, he notices that the door is barred from the inside, so we can't get into his house. His suspicions now genuinely aroused, he clambered into the courtyard through a hole in the wall, only to find that the inner door was also closed. Creeping stealthily up to a window, he peeped through and saw the most hideous sight. A green-faced monster, a ghoul with great jagged teeth like a saw, leaning over a human pelt, the skin of an entire human body spread on the bed, on his bed. The monster had a paintbrush in its hand and was in the process of touching up the skin in lifelike color. When the painting was done, it threw down the brush, lifted up the skin, shook it out like a cloak, and wrapped itself in it whereupon it was instantly transformed into his pretty young fugitive friend. 
Wang's been sleeping with that monster. <laughs> yeah. And you know, even if you go, hey, I was tricked, some party you'd go, oh, I, I liked it. I slept with that monster and I liked it. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. That would be a kind of a retroactive fetish because if you didn't know, that would be like your wife finally after years of marriage. She goes, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm secretly a monster. You can't go, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I was super into yes, it. Yes, I can. Anyway, Wang is freaked out and he sneaks off to the Taoist. He begs him to help him get rid of this devil. And the Taoist is like, I can't bear to kill it, but I can drive it away. I'm sure this thing has suffered great torment, so I must not be cruel. He tells Wang to take this special fly whisk and hang it out of his bedroom door. After that, come find him at the Temple of the Green Emperor. And a fly whisk sort of looks like a big tassel. At first, I was imagining like a plastic fly swatter. (laughs) I had to look up an image of what this was. So Wayne goes home and he does this. Then at night, he and his wife can see a figure standing outside and they hear it grinding its teeth. Ugh, Mm. that's terrible. So it goes away, but then it comes back in a while and it says, that priest thought to scare me. I'll never give up. Not now. Not when I'm so close. Does he think I'm going to spit it out when I'm so near to swallowing it? So it says that she tore down the fly whisk and ripped it to pieces, then broke down the door and burst into the bedroom, climbing straight onto the bed. She tore open Wang's chest, plucked out his heart, and made off with it in the night. So Wang's wife, she starts freaking out. The maid comes in. He is dead. (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that to happen. (laughs) His chest is opened up and it's a bloody pulp. So the next morning, they send Wang's younger brother off to find the Taoist. Uh, The Taoist is pissed that he took pity on this creature. So he's looking to give this thing some payback. So he goes to the house and he checks on the murder scene using his Taoist senses. Uh, He knows that this creature is hiding next door in his brother's house. Right. He asks Wang's brother, Dave, I assume is his name, (laughs) if he had any (laughs) strangers come to the house. And then I thought this was really funny. Dave goes... Uh, how would I know? I've been with you all day. It was an intentionally funny <laughs> bit, I think. Yeah. In the character of the Taoist is kind of a, a buffoonish character. He's like an incompetent detective. That fly whisk plan was really stupid. Yeah. It's like if he were a cop, he'd be like, so you've been threatened by the mafia? No problem. I'm going to set up Officer McSleepy in a car right in front of the house. He'll be there all night to watch. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Oh, you got your chest ripped open. They go to Dave's house and ask about a stranger. And they say that they hired an old lady to work for them. And the Taoist is like, that's her. Mm -hmm. The Taoist goes into the courtyard and pulls out a wooden sword. He yells, come out, evil one, and give me back my fly whisk. The old woman came hurtling out of the building, her face deathly pale, and made a frantic attempt to escape. But the Taoist pursued her and struck her down. As she fell to the ground, the human pelt slipped from her to reveal her as the vile fiend she really was, groveling on the ground and grunting like a pig. The Taoist swung his wooden sword again and chopped off the monster's head, whereupon its body was transformed into a thick cloud of smoke hovering above the ground. The Taoist now took out a bottle gourd, removed the stopper, and placed it in the midst of the smoke. With a whooshing sound, the smoke was sucked into the gourd, leaving no trace in the courtyard. He replaced the stopper and slipped the gourd back into his bag. That is awesome! (laughs) Uh, The only thing I know about Taoism is what I've learned from religion class Mm -hmm. and the Tao of Pooh. Right. (laughs) And they never said anything about all this cool stuff that you can do. They're better than Jedis. Gourds are the new lightsabers. (laughs) (laughs) The Taoist looks at the skin and is impressed with the detail. He rolls it up like a scroll and it makes the same sound. I thought it was a really cool little bit there. Yeah. So Wang's wife wants the Taoist to bring Wang back to life. And he's like, ah, you know, I'm pretty wore out from that demon battle I just had. 
<laughs> and even on my best day, bringing someone back to life is kind of a long shot. And your husband didn't purchase the fly whisk insurance, ma'am. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> well, maybe there is. I do know a guy. Yes, he knows a crazy guy that might be able to help. Uh, he's a madman that frequents the market, and he sleeps on a pile of dung. <laughs> God. He says, go to this guy, get on your knees, and beg him. If he insults you, you, you got to roll with it, no matter what. Wang's brother knows this beggar that the Taoist is talking about, so he takes his sister-in-law to see him. The guy is super stinky and a total creep. He says, do you love me pretty? And she tells him what happened, and he just laughs. There's plenty of fine men in this world for you to marry. Why bother bringing him back to life? And she pleads with him. And he says, you want me to raise the dead? Who do you take me for? The king of hell? And then he hits her with a stick. <laughs> this story is so predictable. <laughs> uh, then he hacks up a loogie into his hand and he puts it to her. Saw it coming. He, he puts it to her mouth and Ugh. tells her to eat it. She is freaked out and ready to run, but she remembers the Taoist instructions and she complies. She eats the loogie. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go down easy. It gets stuck in her throat. Oh, God. This is so gross. The beggar then laughs and then he says, you really do love me then, don't you, my darling? <laughs> and then the God. beggar runs off. Now she walks home feeling terrible, first for her dead husband, then for the shame of what she was doing with yeah. this beggar. You know, this beggar was making her do this. The, the, he degraded her. He hit her, all this stuff. So she cries. I mean, and she she's not just crying. She's wailing. And she considers killing herself. But when she gets home, she has to clean up her husband's body. She starts putting his guts back into his body. And then she feels that loogie in her throat. And she begins hacking it up. And she coughs it right into Wang's body. The loogie starts to like move around and stuff. And it turns into a human heart. And then it starts steaming and his wounds close. In a few minutes, he starts to breathe. In the morning, he's fully alive and awake. I was drifting, he said. Everything was confused. It was like a dream. But all the time I felt this pain deep in my heart. The wound formed a scar the size of a coin, which disappeared with time. That's the end of the story. It's crazy. Yeah. But I've got this postscript that it kind of explains a little bit about what Pooh was trying to do here. It says, How foolish men are to see nothing but beauty and what is clearly evil, but how benighted to dismiss as absurd what is clearly well-intended. It is folly such as this that obliges the Lady Chen to steal herself to eat another man's phlegm when her husband has fallen prey to lust. Heaven's way has its inexorable justice, but some mortals remain foolish and never see the light. And you think that, I didn't have that postscript in my book. You think that kind of explains? A little bit. The theme of it. People are stupid and people do stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I he says, how foolish men are to see nothing but beauty in what is clearly evil. Was she clearly evil? Well. I guess it was a clearly evil act in that he was preying on somebody. Yeah. You know, that was in trouble. Yeah, I think so. And he says, how benighted to dismiss is absurd, which is clearly well-intended. I guess eating the phlegm is absurd, but it, it was well-intended, right? The woman did the right thing. She didn't dismiss it. She went along no. with it. And as a result, her husband was saved. Yeah. I don't know why she wanted to save that guy. But, but why save him? I guess that's what he's saying. It's folly yeah. that she had to do something so disgusting to save this guy who cheated on her. Yeah. Who kind of got what he deserved already. Okay. Yeah. It does explain some things. A little bit. That really, that story is the best way to teach that lesson. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> These next two are really short. On to this one, The Haunted House. Uh-huh. With a title like that, too, one feels one knows what to expect. Mr. Li of Changshan, the nephew of Li Huaxi, president of the Board of Justice, was the owner of a haunted house. 
One day, he saw a long bench on his veranda, flesh pink in color, very smooth looking and well finished. He did not recall possessing such a bench and went up to it and touched it, letting his hand run along its curves. The thing actually felt soft, like flesh, and he walked away from it in shock and revulsion. He had walked a few steps when he looked back and saw the bench move on its four feet and gradually vanish as it merged with the wall. Next he saw a long, shiny whitewood staff leaning against the wall. He took hold of it, and it too was so smooth that it slipped through his fingers, falling to the ground and wriggling away like a snake, until it too had vanished into the wall. <laughs> that is some crazy stuff. A flesh bench and a white flesh staff <laughs> that run off and merge into a wall? As, yeah, and especially because that pair, there's not more coming to explain any of that. Nope. That was the entire, an entire story in and of itself to introduce this full story. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lee had that experience, and that's all we hear about it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we have a scholar named Wang. Is it the same Wang? I don't know. Or is Wang just a really common name? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. I'm guessing it's the same guy. So Wang moves into this house. Yes. At the house, Wang's chilling one night, reading a book, probably eating some Cheetos. Everything's cool. And then in walks a three-inch tall man. (laughs) And the three-inch tall man just kind of wanders around, and then he leaves. (laughs) And a bit later, he comes back with two tiny stools, and then he places them in the room, and then he leaves. Yeah. Maybe he was setting up for, like, a folk duo act that was going to (laughs) perform. Yeah, he's going to do some... (laughs) Uh, some poetry, maybe? I don't know. Well, there's two of them, so I thought maybe, you know... Well, one for the bongo player. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But this query is answered because a bit later, two little men come in with a four-inch-long coffin, which they place on the stools. Mm-hmm. Then a miniature landlady in mourning clothes, clothes of somebody that's mourning, not in the morning, somebody who's sad, mm-hmm. comes in with a bunch of maidservants, all very small, three inches, tiny little people. She weeps into her sleeve and makes a sound like a giant fly. Mm-hmm. Wang finally decides he's had enough of this, freaks out, <laughs> jumps up and runs out of the room, but he trips and falls and just lies there, a gibbering wreck, unable to stand again. The household heard the noise and came running, but saw no sign of anyone or anything out of the ordinary. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> What? <laughs> this makes me feel like when I, I was teaching grade school for a short amount of time, it was like uh-huh. an enrichment program after school, and these kids would be so jacked on sugar sometimes when they'd come into the class because they'd hit the <laughs> vending machine beforehand. And they'd start telling me stories that would make, they'd get me laughing, and then they, uh-huh. would, they would feed on that. And the stories were always like, Princess so-and-so went to the bathroom on this dog's head, and then he opened a <laughs> shopping mall, and then, you know, I mean, they just made no sense. Yeah. This is how this is how that felt. It was just like what? Uh, maybe there is some cultural element to this. Like there's some myth about three inch tall people or shrunken ghosts or something. I, I don't know. But to my Western ears, it's very yeah bizarre. But it's great because here I am. I've you know almost ten years of weird fiction. You call a story a haunted house. I think I know what it's going to be about. <laughs> I did not know any of that was going to happen. <laughs> I know. I love it. Now we conclude with spitting water. Song Wan of La Yang was appointed secretary to one of the boards and rented a very dilapidated house in the capital. One night, his mother, who was sleeping in the main hall, waited on by two maidservants, heard a strange sound coming from her courtyard outside, like the sound made by a tailor spitting on his cloth. 
She told her maids to poke a hole in the paper lattice and see what they could see. They beheld an old lady, short and hunchbacked, her white hair done up in a two-inch topknot, prancing around the courtyard like a crane. And as she pranced, an endless stream of water came spurting from her mouth. The maids, frightened by this strange sight, reported back at once to their lady, who was horrified. They helped her up to the window to see for herself, and at that very moment the old prancing crone came closer and spat a mouthful of water straight at them, splitting the paper and causing all three women to fall flat on the ground. (laughs) It's powerful. I watched a lot of kung fu theater growing up. Yeah. And uh, I was always confused by the paper walls in the houses. Yeah. Your home security could be compromised by a pair of scissors. You know, it just never... <laughs> or by a, a really impressive spit take like that. I mean, she <laughs> split right through the paper wall. I'm sure there's just all sorts of architectural things I don't understand. I'm sure that sure. both of us are betraying an enormous amount of cultural ignorance right now. Yes. And I don't mean to be offensive at all. <laughs> no, but, we don't but know. But some of the stuff that I just don't know. Still enjoy it. This is all happening in the middle of the night, so no one knows that this is going on. In the morning, the other servants wake up, knock on the door. Yes, and their fists go right through the paper. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Uh, no one answers, so they break open the door, and they find the lady and her two maids lying side by side on the floor, seemingly dead. One of the maids, who they check on, is actually alive, and they begin to wake her up, and she tells them what she saw. Mr. Song shows up, and he's terribly sad. He checks the place out where the spitting old lady was dancing around. Excavating to a depth of three feet, they uncovered white hair. Digging still deeper, they found the remains of an entire corpse, an old woman, exactly like the one the maid had described, her face still covered with flesh as if she was still alive. Mr. Song ordered them to strike it, and when they did so, the flesh and bones simply fell away. Beneath the skin, the corpse was all rotten. It consisted of nothing but water. And, uh, and that's, that's the end. That's the end. And that one makes a little bit more sense to me. That one just seems like it's a, it's a ghost story of some kind. I mean, I don't get the crane dancing and the water spitting, but it seems like she died, her spirit was there, and... It was haunting that place. The last two are definitely weird accounts. They're just thumbnail sketches of an odd thing. Yeah. Whereas the first is a strange story that had a... <laughs> I want to say it had an arc to it, but it kind of had like a figure eight twisty pattern to it. <laughs> it but it but it traveled, you know? <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Although this last story is similar to the first in that there's something hiding inside of the woman. Mm. She's just made up of some kind of, well, water. Yeah. Uh, but she's wearing a human costume of some kind. Yeah, it's, it's all very interesting, and I love reading stuff from other cultures. I don't really try to do that, read other translations of, of stuff. You know, I don't know much about African folklore right. or Chinese or, or Southeastern folklore as well. It's all yeah. sort of a mystery to me, and every time that I get a little bit of it, I'm always flabbergasted because it's so oh, man. different. I'm going to read all these. I, I've been reading Aesop's fables over the years and um, mm-hmm. Arabian Nights over the years because those are similar to this. They're just tiny little stories. So I'll pick one up, you know, read it here and there. I'm going to start doing that with this as well because these are like that except so many left turns. <laughs> yeah. In every story, it just pleases me to no end. I highly recommend this book, folks. Pick it up. Yeah, and I think it's 
I think it's free as a Kindle download. I think because these stories are obviously public domain, so you can you can get them quite quite easily. The the Penguin Classics has that nice intro, and the, and I think that some of the versions of these that you'll find online are from an earlier Victorian translation, ah. which were good for raising awareness of the stories, but they pull out some of the more erotic stuff. Oh know? no, it's yeah, definitely, I want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want all the erotic stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I want an accurate translation of what it is. Of course, I think that past editions they've cut things yeah. in order to make it palpable to whatever the you know social climate was. Your concern for historic accuracy is duly noted. It's the only reason I want to read about the only the reason. It's the only reason I want the blow by blow accounts. I, I want to thank Jake for uh, picking the story because these are great. I never would have read them if it wasn't for Jake. So Jake, I owe you my gratitude. Jake Schutz, thank you so much. And I also want to thank Andrew Lehman for doing our readings. Always great to have him. And uh, remember to go over to hplhs.org to pick up all the good stuff that they have there. We got so much good stuff. Uh, Next week, we are jumping into a little CAS. Mm -hmm. Clark Ashton Smith. We're going to do a story called The Charnel God. Mm. We're doing two weeks of Clark Ashton Smith. We got another one after that. But uh, this one's good. The Charnel God. It's some good sword and sorcery stuff. Yeah. It'll be fun. I love that kind of thing. Looking forward to it. That's all we got for this week. Hope that you'll join us again next week. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com.